Skywatchers, thanks for listening to the Royal Observatory's Look Up podcast. I'm Dara, and I'm going to highlight what to look for in the sky in August in this Cosmic Diary. Now, we'd like to give a special mention and our thanks to Chiron Concepcion, one of our work experience students this summer, who helped put the astronomical highlights in this Cosmic Diary together for us. Now, when looking at faint objects such as stars, nebulae, the Milky Way, and other galaxies, it is important to allow your eyes to adapt to the dark so that you can achieve better night vision. Allow 15 minutes for your eyes to become sensitive in the dark, and remember not to look at your mobile phone or any other bright device when you're stargazing. And if you are using a star app on your phone, then switch on the red night vision mode. Now the brilliant display of the gas giants Saturn and Jupiter continues throughout August. Look towards the south after sunset, and you'll spot Jupiter shining brightly, with Saturn lying to its left. On the night of the 1st of August, you'll spot an almost full moon lying beneath Jupiter, and if you wait until after midnight, you'll see Jupiter in conjunction with the moon. A conjunction is when two astronomical objects meet in the same part of the sky and will lie along the same ecliptic longitude or share the same right ascension. If you have a pair of binoculars or a telescope, try to find the four largest moons of Jupiter, the Galilean moons, Io, Europa, Ganymede and Callisto. And if you repeat this observation over a couple of nights, you'll see the moons change position as they orbit Jupiter. This month's full moon occurs on the 3rd and is known as the Grain Moon or the Sturgeon Moon. The latter full moon name came from North American fishing tribes because of the great number of sturgeons, huge freshwater fish, that appeared and could be caught at this time. On the night of the 8th, just before midnight, have a look towards the east and you'll spot Mars lying to the left of the moon, both lying quite low on the horizon. With the moon approaching its last quarter phase, which it reaches on the 11th, this is a great opportunity to spot craters lying along the terminator of the moon. If you're up before sunrise on the 15th, you'll be able to see a thin, waning crescent moon lying above the planet Venus. We're keeping our fingers crossed for good weather on the nights of the 11th to the 13th of August to observe the peak of the annual Perseids meteor shower. Considered to be one of the best meteor showers to look out for in the year, under perfect conditions, you'll be able to spot around 100 meteors per hour. Although the light from the last quarter moon may obscure some of the fainter meteors, the Perseids are known to be bright, so you will still be able to spot some meteors. Debris from Comet Swift-Tuttle, which last reached its close approach to the Sun in 1992, is responsible for producing the Perseids meteor shower. To maximise your chances of seeing meteors, head out to a dark sky location and wait until the early hours of the morning for the constellation of Perseus, the radiant of the meteor shower, to get higher up in the sky. After enjoying the meteor shower in the early hours of the 13th, look towards the east before sunrise and you'll spot Venus shining brightly. Venus reaches greatest western elongation on the 13th, which means that the planet will appear at its furthest position west of the Sun in its orbit. If you have a telescope with you, aim it at Venus and see if you can spot what phase it's in. Take advantage of the new moon on the 19th to have a look at some deep sky objects. You'll find some great targets inside the asterism known as the Summer Triangle. Formed by the stars Deneb, Vega and Altair, the Summer Triangle soars high in the sky this month, sitting in the south around midnight. 
Tucked just under Vega, you'll find M57, the Ring Nebula. Best viewed through a telescope, this fuzzy ring of material, around 2,300 light-years from the Earth, is the result of the death of a low-mass star, in particular a star with a mass similar to our Sun. Lying at the heart of the Summer Triangle is a star called Albireo. Through a pair of binoculars or a telescope, you'll see that Albireo is in fact a double star, with one star a golden yellow colour and the other an electric blue. The observed difference in colours is due to the different surface temperatures of the stars, with the blue star having a higher surface temperature compared to the golden yellow coloured star. Now if you take any photos of the night sky, please do tweet them to us at ROG Astronomers. You may also want to check out our night sky highlights blog on our website rmg.co.uk. But now it's time for our cosmic news. Welcome back to the Cosmic News part of the podcast. In the last few months, I've been finding astronomical news stories that in some way link to the biggest unanswered questions in space. And for this month, I couldn't go without mentioning the successful launches of new spacecraft destined for Mars and thought that this month would be an ideal time to explore the past exploration on Mars and look into why these current missions have been sent to Mars now. Part of the reason we continue to send probes to Mars is to help provide more insight into one of our biggest questions. Was there ever life on Mars? Now the average distance to Mars is about 225 million kilometres, and that's no short trip. But because Earth and Mars orbit at different speeds, Earth being the more inner planet, it orbits the Sun in almost half the time it takes Mars to, well, what this means is that each of the planets follows their own path around the Sun and sometimes they will be closer to each other and sometimes they'll be a bit further away. And that's why we have this average distance. But it's about every two years, uh, or roughly 26 months, that Mars passes within about 55 million kilometres of the Earth. And it makes it an ideal time to, number one, look for Mars in the sky with the naked eye, just like the ancients would have, as it would appear slightly bigger and brighter uh, than usual due to its closer distance at this time. But since the invention of the telescope around 400 years ago, it also provides the best opportunity to capture images of the red planet with high-resolution telescopes based here on Earth. But even more recently, the advancements in space exploration means that it provides an ideal window with the shortest distance and journey time to launch spacecraft destined for Mars. So that's not to say that we can't launch spacecraft to Mars at any other time, this is just the ideal time to do it, this launch window. And that's why you may have noticed there has been this flurry of spacecrafts launching to Mars recently. The United Arab Emirates launched its first spacecraft to Mars, and in fact it's the nation's first mission beyond Earth orbit. And that was launched on the 19th of July. China then launched their Tainwen-1 mission a few days later on the 23rd of July. And NASA also launched their Perseverance rover on the 30th of July. And now all three are on their way to Mars and set to arrive in February of next year after a seven-month journey thereabouts. Now, the European Space Agency were set to launch their rover too, Rosalind Franklin, but they've postponed it until 2022, which would be the next ideal Mars launch window, about two years from now. 
Now, it's a long time to have to wait if you've missed a launch window, but actually Mars mission success rates aren't very high. And planning and operating a mission to Mars is seriously tricky work. So you've got to be sure that everything is prepared as best as it can be, because it would be a lot of effort and money to lose if things were to go wrong, especially if they could have been prevented with more thorough testing. Now, although Mars won't reach opposition, which is when it's at its closest approach to the Earth until the 14th of October, when you're planning space missions, you have to aim for where the target will be when your spacecraft eventually gets there, not where it appears to be now. And so Mars and Earth will be at their closest roughly halfway through the journey that these current spacecraft will be making to the red planet. But before we have a look at what each of these missions is set to achieve, let's go back a little and remind ourselves of the history of Mars exploration. Because Mars is visible with the naked eye, the earliest humans no doubt looked up at the sky and saw it as a reddish point of light amongst the many other stars that filled their skies. But records of humans recognising it and mapping it began about 5,000 years ago with the Mesopotamians, who named it after their god of war, Nergal. Later, the ancient Greeks, too, named it after their god of war, who was called Ares. And the Roman equivalent was Mars. And that has remained the name that we use today for the red planet. In 1609, Galileo was amongst the first to have seen Mars through a telescope. And with the aid of optics, scientists and astronomers in the years thereafter studied the details on the planet's surface. It was no longer just appearing as a red point of light, but now there was a disk with features that they could start to make out. In 1784, William Herschel noted dark and lighter areas on Mars, and he believed them to be oceans and land, and speculated that Mars was inhabited by intelligent beings or life. And about a century later, the Italian astronomer Giovanni Schiaparelli described, named and illustrated what he called canali, mysterious straight lines near the equatorial regions of Mars. And as other observers found the same things looking through their telescopes, some went on to speculate that these were engineering works and irrigation canals created by an intelligent civilization living on Mars. So even back then, people were fascinated and intrigued by the idea of life beyond the Earth. But with advancements in science and technology, this long-standing misbelief was rectified. The network of crisscrossing lines covering the surface of Mars was actually just a product of the human tendency to see patterns even when they don't exist. Sometimes when you look at faint groups of dark smudges, as these astronomers would have looking through their amateur and smaller telescopes, the eyes tend to connect them with straight lines, and this has been demonstrated by many laboratory and field experiments. So these canali were just an optical illusion. Now the first spacecraft to be sent to Mars was Mariner 4, which launched in 1964. It was a flyby, the first ever mission to Mars and it returned the first ever images of Mars up close. Unlike the digital cameras we have today though, back then the images were taken using magnetic strips, and the data was beamed back to the Earth. In total, 22 images were taken, and each took 10 hours for the data to be transmitted back to the Earth. But it wasn't images that we got back here, rather just image data, and that would need to be processed first. 
Too eager to wait for a digital result, some of the scientists took the data and printed it out on ticker tape, they stapled the strips together, and then they assigned the certain data numbers with certain hues or colours to create a sort of colour by number. They went out to the shops, got themselves some pastel crayons and started colouring in. And their hand-coloured image using the data actually matched very well the computer-generated images that were later processed. By 1971, NASA had managed to get a probe into orbit, and that was Mariner 9. A flyby is one thing, but to precisely alter the speed and direction of a spacecraft while tracking its distance from its planet or target to ensure it's captured by the body's gravity is nothing short of masterful. Viking 1 was the first spacecraft to land on the surface of Mars successfully in 1975, and it provided the first images from the surface of the red planet. Imagine dropping a box of fragile equipment from the top of the Earth's atmosphere and trying to ensure that it doesn't crash into the surface. Now imagine trying to do that remotely from tens of millions of kilometres away, where any communication or command that you send takes minutes to be sent from the transmitter to the receiver, i.e. the spacecraft, and imagine trying to do that as cost and resource effectively as possible. Now add into the scenario that there isn't actually much of an atmosphere at all. So even though a parachute on the Earth can produce air resistance to slow you down because the Earth has a thick atmosphere, in this scenario that would not be viable. A parachute simply isn't going to work. And also add in that this box of fragile equipment would not start with zero speed at the top of the atmosphere, it would likely begin its descent with a speed in excess of 10,000 miles per hour. That's what sending a probe to land on the surface of Mars is like. It's full of fraught challenges, so when Viking 1 successfully landed on Mars, it was beyond a huge triumph. Now since then, seven more probes have landed, all from NASA. The United States, to this date, remains the only country to have successfully landed probes on Mars. Viking 2 landed in 1976, and then there was the Pathfinder mission that landed in 1997, and that included the Sojourner rover, the first rover to operate on Mars. The car-sized twin rovers Spirit and Opportunity landed in 2004, and they were much larger than the previous Sojourner rover, which was about the size of a sofa footstool. Now these twin rovers were like mini laboratories, carrying a suite of instruments to explore the Martian surface. In 2008, they were joined by the Phoenix lander, and then by the Curiosity rover in 2012. The latest mission to have arrived at Mars was the InSight lander, and it touched down in 2018. To date, the Curiosity rover remains the only working rover on Mars, whilst InSight is the only lander still in operation. Now together, these missions, along with numerous orbiting missions to Mars, have tried to answer and gain a better understanding of some key questions we have about the Red Planet. What is the interior of Mars like? Was Mars ever habitable? What's the surface composition of Mars like? What is the atmospheric and radiation environment like? And is there any water on the surface of Mars or even below? So what do we already know about Mars? And what is it that these missions that have just been launched hope to reveal? 
Well, NASA has been studying Mars from up close for over 50 years now, so there's just so much to cover in this short podcast. So for any interested keen beans, I would highly recommend checking out NASA's Mars Exploration page. So just type into a search engine, NASA Mars Exploration, and it should come up as one of the first links, and you'll find a wealth of information about past, present, and upcoming missions, which is made very accessible for the general public. The atmosphere of Mars we know is very thin, so there's little gas there, less than 1% of the surface air pressure we feel on the Earth. Now the thin atmosphere it does have is about 95% carbon dioxide, about 2.5% nitrogen, 2% argon, and then trace amounts or smaller amounts of other gases. Now this thin atmosphere and a lack of a magnetic field to shield Mars's surface from harmful solar radiation means that finding liquid water on the Martian surface is highly unlikely. But many of the spacecraft sent to Mars have found evidence that Mars may have been a warmer and wetter place in the past, because they think that before it had a much thicker atmosphere which has been lost over time. In fact, it's a process that's still taking place today. Mars is still leaking gases into space. The Opportunity rover has found clays on Mars, which only form in the presence of water. And Spirit found opaline silica formed in volcanic fumaroles or openings, or even from hydrothermal vents. Now, opaline silicates are a hydrated mineral, and they would only form where water has altered the minerals created by volcanic activity. So these sorts of places where we find things like clays and opaline silica would be ideal locations to try and search for life. So even having this Ingenuity helicopter as part of the upcoming Perseverance mission to scout out places for future exploration is a real bonus. Now Mars may have been warmer in the past, but it's now very cold. On average, it's minus 60 degrees Celsius. And a thicker atmosphere in the past may have helped Mars retain some heat absorbed by the Sun, but that's no longer possible. Although no liquid water has been found on the surface, we do know there is frozen water. Many of the orbiting missions to Mars have discovered ice, including ESAs, so the European Space Agency's Mars Express spacecraft, which found the 82-kilometre-wide Korolev crater filled with ice to a depth of about 1.8 kilometres, making it a large reservoir of non-polar ice. Now, the white polar caps on Mars can be seen through a telescope on Earth, and these polar ice caps have been viewed by Mars orbiters too. In fact, the Mars Express spacecraft has also used radar to determine the possible existence of a subsurface reservoir of water about one and a half kilometres under the Martian surface. Now, both the Spirit and Opportunity rovers have studied dust devils. These are whirlwinds of dust that form on the surface of Mars. And the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter has shown global dust storms that enshroud the entire planet. The latest one, which occurred in 2018, covered Opportunity's solar panels, and the loss in power eventually resulted in the end of its mission. The dust on Mars is fine and abrasive, the red colour coming from iron oxide in its soil. And iron oxide is just rust, the same rust uh, that we find here on Earth, and that's what gives Mars its distinctive rusty red colour. 
Now, the Curiosity rover has found rounded pebbles around its landing site in Grail Crater. Likely, they rolled downstream and became smoothed, and so it's thought that rivers and lakes once persisted in Gale Crater for at least a million years. Now, Curiosity was also engineered with a drill, and in the powdered sample that it drilled from the surface, it found sulphur, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and carbon. These are key ingredients necessary for Earth-like life. It's also detected seasonal variations in atmospheric methane. Now, it's exciting because methane we know can be produced by living organisms or by chemical reactions between water and rocks. So there are still answers that we're looking for. What is the source of this methane and why is there this sudden seasonal spike that we see with it? Now, if you want to hear a little more about Mars and what it's like and some of the challenges with exploring Mars, then have a listen to our YAG Exploring Mars podcast on our SoundCloud page. We are Royal Observatory Greenwich. Now, YAG is our Young Advisors group. It's for students aged 14 to 18 interested in space and looking to get involved in the work we do at the Royal Observatory. And at one of the sessions that we had previously, the Young Advisors were involved in a podcast discussing some of the challenges of exploring Mars, and they went about answering the following questions. How long would it take to get to Mars driving at 60 miles per hour? How many Mars missions have there been to date, and how many of them have been successful? And outside a spacecraft on Mars, what would be the most imminent cause of your death if you took off your spacesuit? So if you want to hear the answers to those questions, have a listen. Again, it's called YAG Exploring Mars, and that podcast can be found on our SoundCloud page, and we are Royal Observatory Greenwich. And any young person listening and perhaps wanting to join our Young Advisors group, we'd love to have you on board. Please visit our website, rmg.co.uk, search for Young Advisors group, and you can sign up there. While past missions have already highlighted some interesting finds on Mars, New probes have just been launched to further add to our understanding and will allow us to explore other places on the surface of Mars where no other landers or rovers have been. Although smaller than the Earth, Mars is still big, it's a planet, and there's so much more of it that is yet to be explored. Imagine having our planet with just eight people or the eight spacecraft that have been there, and only some of them were able to roam or move. There's no way that we could have learnt everything about our planet, and that's why we continue to explore Mars today and land more spacecraft over its surface. Now, late on Sunday the 19th of July, the United Arab Emirates launched its first interplanetary mission, the Hope Mars mission. This is an orbiter due to arrive at Mars in February 2021, and its aim is to understand the Martian weather system and climate in more detail. This will provide further preparation for potential future crewed missions to Mars. Shortly after, the Chinese launched their Tainwen-1 mission on the morning of Thursday the 23rd of July. This ambitious mission includes an orbiter, lander and rover, and if successful, it would make China only the second country to successfully land on Mars. With a wide variety of instruments, the mission's aims include trying to find evidence for current and past life on Mars, producing Martian surface maps, 
characterizing the Martian soil composition and the water ice distribution over the planet, and examining the Martian atmosphere, particularly a layer known as the ionosphere. It is due to enter Martian orbit in February 2021, just like the United Arab Emirates HOPE mission, but the lander and the rover are only planned to be sent down to the surface a few months after that. Now, originally set to lift off on the 17th of July, the launch of NASA's Perseverance rover was delayed until the 30th of July. Having launched around the end of the month then, as planned, Perseverance is set to arrive on the Martian surface on the 18th of February next year. Now it's similar in size to the Curiosity rover, but Perseverance is heavier and it's fitted with more advanced scientific experiments. Building on previous mission aims of determining habitability of Mars, Perseverance's key aim is to search for signs of past microbial life itself and to determine whether life once existed on Mars. Its other goals are to characterise the climate and geology of Mars. It will even cache samples, which means it will collect and store the samples, which will then be retrieved on future missions. Now, two of the most exciting things about this rover, in my opinion, are that it has an experiment called MOXIE. This is the Mars Oxygen In Situ Resource Utilisation Experiment, and in essence, it will try and produce oxygen from the carbon dioxide in the thin Martian atmosphere. This is a technology that could prove really useful for crewed missions to Mars, as there is very little oxygen in the Martian atmosphere for us to breathe. And the second exciting thing is that it has a mini autonomous helicopter, and it's named Ingenuity. It could scout for future places to explore beyond the area that the rover may be able to on its own. They have also equipped the rover with two microphones. So with a camera as a sense of sight, robotic arms and sensors to replicate touch, and chemical and mineral sensors that can simulate the senses of taste and smell, now this rover will complete the last sense of hearing. And although previous NASA Mars missions have carried microphones, the Mars Polar Lander mission actually ended up failing, and the Phoenix Lander's instrument was never actually turned on. Now that these probes have launched, we've got some really exciting landings to look forward to, and then no doubt some really interesting science awaits us. We also have a YouTube channel, and there, amongst many other videos, you'll find another video featuring some of the Royal Observatory Greenwich astronomers talking all about Mars missions, past, present and future. So search for us on YouTube, we are Royal Observatory Greenwich, and have a listen to that too. Thanks very much for listening to this month's Look Up podcast. As ever, we'd love to know your thoughts on the story we've shared today. So we'll be launching a poll on our Twitter page, which is at ROG Astronomers at the start of August, and it will be live for a week. And the question we'll be posing is, what are you most excited to discover or hopeful that we'll find when these new missions arrive at Mars in February 2021? Is it perhaps what Mars sounds like with the help of Perseverance's microphones? Is it that we are able to find past life of some sort, either through the Tainwen 1 or Perseverance mission? Perhaps you hope we'll find some sort of weather features through the United Arab Emirates or China's orbiters. 
Or are you looking forward to the test flight of Perseverance's helicopter Ingenuity? Well, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at ROG Astronomers if you aren't already and cast your votes at the start of the month. Thanks to those of you who voted in our poll last month too. The story that we covered then was of a mysterious object that had been found. Heavier than any known neutron star, but lighter than any black hole we've ever discovered. So what could it have been? Now, although some of you thought it was perhaps actually the lightest black hole that had ever been discovered, more of you thought it could be the heaviest known neutron star to date. But actually, most of you think it probably is something else that we haven't defined or identified properly yet. So a really interesting mix of votes that was. That's pretty much it for Look Up this month. Remember, if you'd like a written account of the astronomical highlights we mention in our Cosmic Diary section at the start of the podcast, then head to rmg.co.uk and search for Night Sky Highlights, where you'll find that along with images and tips to help you with your stargazing. Other than that, thanks once again for joining, and we'll see you again in September for more from Look Up. Mm-hmm.